This is Johnny Gould's Jewish State. Our guest today is a rabbi raised in Kharkiv, Ukraine, from the age of six months. Rabbi Mendel Moskowitz moved there with his parents as a baby to serve as Chabad emissaries and rebuild Jewish life in Kharkiv following the fall of communism. Graduating as a rabbi in Sydney, Australia, Rabbi Moskowitz returned home with his wife Khani, and there he raised three children and served as a rabbi to Ukrainian youth for seven years until war changed everything. 30% of the city was destroyed. So, so there was no, part of the roads were blocked. There was no way to get out. And only 24 hours later, we were able to find the first van, the first driver that was, and, and not even for money, but nobody was ready to, it was so dangerous to get out of the city. And there were Russian and Ukrainian tanks fighting each other outside the city. It was just too dangerous. People were getting killed just leaving the city. Now he's serving as an ambassador to the Jewish Relief Network Ukraine. He's highlighting Jewish suffering to the world, raising funds for the incredible work being done by Chabad to provide vital humanitarian relief. JRNU is the umbrella organization for operations in Ukraine, providing food, medicine and medical care, housing and even security. Donate now at jrnu.org. Through 48 regional coordinators and staff on the ground in 35 cities, JRNU is serving people too frail to flee, those who are otherwise unable to flee, those who refuse to leave behind a husband, child, father. Without a working economy, unemployment is at an astronomical rate and tens of thousands of people rely on JRNU each week for basic necessities. By donating at jrnu.org or by following that link in the podcast description, you can send desperately needed money to support ongoing work in Ukraine. Donate now at jrnu.org. It's my honor and pleasure to be joined by Rabbi Mendel Moskowitz. Uh, Mendel, welcome to Johnny Gould's Jewish State. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. It's an honor for us all. And the most remarkable statistic that came out of the most recent exchanges of the Ukraine becoming left, right and center in our news is that there were 200,000 Jews in the Ukraine before Putin invaded. That number is startling. It made the Ukraine one of the world's biggest diaspora communities. Correct. And even according to some estimates, it could be up to 300,000 Jews because after the Soviet Union, many people were hiding their uh, Jewishness and their Jewish tradition. So a lot of the people don't know they're Jewish and some find out that their grandparents are Jewish. So we're still finding out how many Jews these statistics are still growing. And because of the war, actually, a lot of people are seeking for help and reaching out to the Jewish communities that we're actually finding much more Jews than we previously thought are in Ukraine. But even the number 200,000, which is that that is the official number is still we're talking about a crazy amount of Jews who are in trouble right now. Now, of course, it's impossible to know how many have fled, whether some from the eastern part of the Ukraine have fled towards the comparatively peaceful, and I say comparatively because they're not at peace, 
in Lviv and Kiev are still in the country. And you had to flee pretty quickly. You're in Israel now. Yes. So so I, I was actually born in, in New York, but when I was a six-month-old baby, I was already in Kharkov, Ukraine, together with my parents. So you pretty much say that, that's all I knew. That, that was my life from when I was a baby, uh, growing up in Kharkov, Ukraine, learning how to walk, talk, and all my friends and everything I knew was was there in the Ukraine. Uh, I have to say it was beautiful. It was beautiful growing up there. Anybody who has been to Ukraine knows that the, the Ukrainian people are simple. They're nice. And we actually, growing up, as uh, I was the first religious Jewish boy uh, post the Soviet Union uh, who came to the Ukraine. So I was a big spectacle for everyone around there, which was exciting as a little kid. Uh, you know, it's exciting to be different and special. And I was always proud of that. So it was it was a beautiful experience. The life was very simple, especially then. Uh, Ukraine, even from the beginning, from 1990, made a big effort to to split from Russia and to start slowly heading towards Europe. And and as the years were going by, it was it was well noticed the difference, different from Russia, more freedom. Uh, and now it's 32 years since we have been there, and th- it's 32 years since the split of communism. You could really tell that Ukraine has different values and it wants to be part of Europe. Now, this, of course, has all the hallmarks of Chabad, uh, of Lubavitch, and I believe it was your father who was posted to the Ukraine, then the Soviet Union, um, by the Rebbe himself. And it's one of the great stories of Chabad that uh, where there are Jews to be loved and to be saved, He's going to send you. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, so I'm you glad you're mentioning this. You didn't this. get the short store of Miami Beach then. <laughs> yeah, it's not Miami. Uh, it could get actually very cold. It's minus 20, it's mi- minus yeah. 30. I guess it's, it's really cold. Right. Thanks, it's not Miami. <laughs> yeah, it's not Miami. But, uh, but, you know, first of all, I'm glad you mentioned this because this is a very important part of the story and a very important part of what's going on right now uh, to understand the history. So the Lubavitcher was actually born in the Ukraine. It was then the Soviet Union. He was born in Nikolaev. So he had always a passion for the Jewish people there. And throughout the years, he, he would gather his Hasidim in Brooklyn, New York, and, and really... Uh, you literally cry sometimes and remembering about the Jews, how they're uh, here in, in Russia or Ukraine and not able to practice Judaism, not, not able to practice Jewish tradition. So this is something that was always painful for him. And only in 1990, finally, when, it, when there was the perestroika and there was starting to the, the Soviet Union started to fall apart right away, he sent three rabbis, the chief rabbi of uh, Russia, Rabbi Berlazar, Rabbi Kamenetsky, the chief rabbi of Nepal, together with my father and me, a small little baby, we were sent uh, on this uh, beautiful mission to help Jews, whether it's uh, financially, as people know, the, in Ukraine, the situation even before the war financially wasn't great for people. Uh, and now it's, it's, it's a catastrophe. But even then, it wasn't simple. And a big part of what we were doing as humanitarian aid throughout all our years that we were there, we're feeding over 300 people daily and providing medicine. We had a special doctor and a medicine bank uh, in our synagogue who would, people would just come there and get free medicine. So a lot of humanitarian work, as opposed to in America where rabbis are, they also sometimes provide humanitarian work, but mainly their job is to give spirituality. In Ukraine, a lot of what we we're doing was also humanitarian work throughout the years. So big thanks to the Lubavitch Rebbe who cared so much for these Jews and made a big effort to send we were the first uh, three rabbis, but now there's over, before the war, there's over 150 rabbis just in Ukraine. Uh, so that is, that is uh, 
it's, it's unbelievable how we went from having zero rabbis in the Soviet Union to 150 within 30 years. Are you playing catch up with Johnny Gould's Jewish State? I've had the pleasure of some really great guests. How about Douglas Murray? Israel is a rare country in the West uh, in that it does buck many of the trends. There isn't a fertility rate problem in Israel, um, for instance, as there is in most European countries. There is a strong feeling of nationhood and of the depths that the country needs to call upon in order to unite its people. And Hillel Neuer, whose UN Watch keeps check on the excesses and mission creep of the UN human rights in Geneva. The challenges are great. They're not going away. I am concerned by the cultural revolution that we've experienced in America in the past five years, the known to some of the woke revolution, where there's a kind of a McCarthyism. If you say something, it could be cancelled and fired from your university, from your corporation, uh, from uh, journalists. And often it's, uh, it's an anti-liberalism. So that, that, to be honest, really, really scares me because we need our democracies to be healthy be honest, to be, to be truth-tellers. And so I am deeply concerned. If you like Johnny's regular podcasts, think about making a donation at either patreon.com slash johnnygould or buy him a coffee. He loves coffee. ko-fi.com slash johnnygould. Tell us about your own dramatic escape from Kharkiv, which on one level must have been a relief, but on another level, if it's your country, they're your people, it must have been a terrible wrench, perhaps even a guilt to to leave your community, the, the one place you knew better than anywhere else. Yes, yeah, so, so that was that was the hardest the hardest part was 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 the community part. And and that is something that a lot of times I, tr- I try to make a big effort in my speeches to to convey that as much as possible. A community for rabbis is family. I came, I grew up in Kharkov all my life and at, uh, I married and I brought her to, I was in, mainly in charge of the preschool, uh, which had over 300 kids. Kharkov, for, just for people to understand, Kharkov is the second largest city in the Ukraine with a million and a half. Uh, when we came there in 1990, there were about 50,000 Jews. Even before the war, there were about 20, estimated 20,000 Jews, which is a, a large number of Jews to work with. Kharkov also has the biggest synagogue in Ukraine and one of, according to Wikipedia, one of the 10 largest in the world. So we had a great honor uh, being there throughout all those years, providing for the community. One morning uh, at five o'clock in the morning, the war just broke out and we were hearing explosions by the window. We were, we were in denial. For many years, for, for many months, we were hearing from America, especially from the news in America, how, how the American government is warning that the Russians are going to invade. But people in Ukraine did not want to believe that that's something that could, could happen because we just thought it's empty threats because uh, a lot of there's a lot of Russian citizens living in Ukraine and in Kharkov. Kharkov is a Russian speaking city and many of the people, their parents or their grandparents, served the Russian army, the Red Army in World War II. So the, the, the sheer idea of an invasion was something people were not ready to accept. 
but unfortunately, one morning we were just woken up with explosions. We couldn't believe it. Thank God we bought some food and supplies just in case, just in case. We were ready for it, but but in our hearts, uh, we, we couldn't believe something like this. And I, I think most people in Ukraine uh, did not believe something like this could happen. Uh, but one day it just started, it began. Uh, we right away looked for shelter. A lot of people, uh, any anybody who lived on a high floor had to find a basement or a place to stay. So a lot of people came to our synagogue because we have a big basement in our synagogue. The first day of the war, over 100 people came to our synagogue to find shelter. We, we were actually doing a construction. We were building a mikvah next to our shul. So we took all the sandbags and we covered all the windows. Crazy explosions, a whole week of explosions uh, and rockets falling. But, but then on, on one particular day, after a week of being there, we, we heard, not only we heard, we felt such a strong explosion. And it was the main city hall uh, of Kharkov, which is one street away. I live on Rimerskaya. This is on Sumskaya, one street away from us. A blast that you can't even imagine. Just watching it on video is, is something. It, it was a special vacuum bomb, which is, uh, according to international law, is not even allowed to be used. I'm not already. We're not talking about that. It was used on civilians, and in general, it shouldn't be used. Uh, such an explosion uh, because the the vacuum it creates a very massive um, shock wave. And that's what we felt. Our whole building was shaking. And that's that's a point after a week of being under bombs. This is where we understood that this is random and it's not Russia is not just targeting military objects, but everything. And we had to leave. So after the explosions, also, you could take a look in the news and in the Kharkov war. You could you could see that the city was after after those explosions in that morning, Wednesday morning, 30 percent of the city was destroyed. So, so there was no part of the roads were blocked. There was no way to get out. And only 24 hours later, we were able to find the first van, the first driver that was, and, and not even for money, but nobody was ready to, it was so dangerous to get out of the city. And there were Russian and Ukrainian tanks fighting each other outside the city. It was just too dangerous. People were getting killed just leaving the city. So only the next day when it got a little bit quieter, uh, we were able to leave the city. And our hearts were, how are we, we have 20,000 Jews in Kharkov. What are we going to do? How are we going to get them out? That, that's what was in our minds. Uh, obviously, my wife and kids, which is also something I was, I was very worried about. But my community, you know, uh, the reason we stayed, the reason why we chose to stay even when it's hardest for them. And now we're leaving. We have, we have, to, we have to go out with our community. We have to find a way. So right away, we started breaking our heads how to find some kind of way to get people to safety so we started looking for buses uh special buses that would come from moldova uh, drive uh, a day and a half to kharkov and back buses that cost us uh, tens of thousands of dollars to take out jews and, and we have taken out already thousands of people just from kharkov and with the help of uh, uh jrnu we also we took out already tens of thousands of people from ukraine and me personally uh, that that terrible week that I was describing, uh, we were also uh, saved by this organization and a special plane came to pick us up. And not only my family, but a full plane of other people and other refugees that were leaving from the Ukraine, a special flight from Yasi, which is Romania, a special flight took us to Israel. And this is after two days of traveling and a week of not sleeping, not eating properly, because when you're under stress, when you're in wartime, you don't feel like eating or sleeping. So, uh, so this was, this was a very crazy experience. So when we came to Israel right away, you know, we went to the Kotel, we went to Jerusalem. We, we thank God that we have Israel, that we have a place to escape when things are so bad. 
uh, and that we're safe. And till today, we're taking out people from Kharkov and from Ukraine in general. We're continuing to feed uh, the people there who are in Ukraine right now and continue sending them medicine. Uh, just in Kharkov, we're feeding over 300 people daily. We have, Our kitchen is functioning. We have over 100 people who are seeking shelter in the shul. And all over Ukraine, we're continuing doing missions and changing it with Life Changer and the, all our projects that we have all over Ukraine under this organization. And we are, uh, with the help of people that are giving us money from Europe and America, we, we're able to continue doing this because without the funds, it would be impossible to, to do this amazing work. So together with, with the help of, of kind people like who are listening right now to us, we are able to continue. And we're helping to provide peop- help for the refugees who are here in Israel uh, and, and, and in general in Europe. They need a lot of help and a lot of support, emotional support, and just finding themselves again, starting life again. I came with a little, small handbag. I couldn't take anything. We had to run away from Kharkov and lots of other people as well had to run away with no belongings. So starting life again is is really tough. Now, just about every Jew in the world has been touched by the influence of Chabad over the last 30 years. And it's a remarkable movement. And how much do you think we owe in this generation to the vision of the Rebbe of uh, Chabad through through the decades since. Yes, so I think, uh, especially in Ukraine, we could see this, especially when there's crisis. So right now, Chabad is the has the biggest Jewish network all over the world, with over five thousand rabbis spread in the world. And when we see a crisis like what's happening in Ukraine, everybody, all their Jewish organizations are turning to Chabad because they know that we're there already for over thirty years. And we have the right connections and, and, and t- together with the people and with the local government and with the government in the Ukraine. We have very tight connections. We're working together with everybody. So everybody knows that if, if they want to send help, we could do it in the most efficient way because we already have 30, over 30 years of experience. We know exactly what is going on there. We know the people and uh, we know the situation uh, at any given moment where we're the whole time, even now, now that I'm from Israel, where every day we're in touch with everything that is going on. We have people on the ground who uh, we're sending money, supplies, food, whatever is needed there in order to continue uh, providing for the Jewish people there who are still there now and can't leave. And this is a big part of, of what we're doing. So the network, the Chabad network, I think we have to be thankful to the Rebbe because he's the one who envisioned this, that, you know, sometimes things are not, not always that great. In such a time where we're using out everything we have, and especially we're now using out also our networks, not only in Ukraine, but out of Ukraine. So we have a lot of refugees who are leaving to Israel or to Europe in many places, and we're being contacted by the rabbi, and we're contacting them that we have a community member who left to this in the city. Please help him find a house. Please help him find work. Uh, so, so the network is letting us get all the uh, need from anywhere in the world, because this is one of the biggest strategies for our community. What's going on now is simply everybody's just, we're trying to bring people to Israel as much as possible, but people are spreading all over the world. Somebody somebody has a family member in Germany, somebody in Austria. So, So we're trying to do everything that is possible to get them connected with a local community, make sure they get the right help that they could be needing. Including the very tantalizing idea that a Jewish community might be returning to Poland after the Second World War. The idea where, uh, you know, it was the biggest diaspora community in the world, the disaster of the Holocaust 
snuffed it out to just 4,000 people from 3 million. It's there on the border, Chelm, the wise men of Chelm on the border, that famous Chabad story, there will be Jews there on the border. There will be young Jewish people in danger um, of unscrupulous people. You're the latest of a Jewish generation who has been torn away from the place that they grew up the rich life that you had, that you grew up with, six months old. That's the only life that uh, you remember and your wife, Hani, coming to Kharkiv, uh, marrying there with your children, three children. I say that because uh, my grandma escaped Vienna, my grandfather escaped Vienna, but also escaped the Ukraine during the First World War. So I'm partially from Galicia, um, approximately within a few hundred miles of, of where you came from you're never going back are you i mean realistically twenty thousand jews 300 jews in the synagogue i know chabad is all about hope but chabad is all about hope and and we're not losing hope we're not losing hope it's true if we're looking just practically speaking and being just just using our our minds and being practical of course Things are not looking good right now, especially in the last few days in Kremenchuga city where a fellow rabbi of mine, that city was bombed. Anybody, the parks have been bombed there just the past few days. The situation is not looking good. We don't know if we'll be able to go back. Uh, We're hoping and continuing to pray that there's going to be peace uh, for the people of Ukraine, for our community. And definitely, we need a miracle. If uh, logically, it's hard to imagine a, a way out of this whole thing, but miracles do happen. And we, we want to believe that a miracle will happen and we'll be able to come back and continue providing for our people and for our community in any way possible. Now, you are the ambassador to Jewish Relief Network of Ukraine. Rabbi, tell our audience, how do you make a donation to the Jewish Relief Network of Ukraine? We have a website jrnu.org this is our website you could get on and see more de- with more detail what we're doing and how we're saving lives uh daily daily we're saving lives we have the largest networks of rabbis of people who are doing all this there's also rabbis on the ground in the ukraine right now during war risking their lives there as well my father went in for a few weeks even to kharkov even though it's extremely dangerous so uh we have rabbis who are risking their lives community members who are risking their lives just to help elderly people get out of Kharkov and to those who can't leave to provide them with food every day, medicine. We're talking about tens of thousands of people that we're helping. Uh, there's no other organization like this that is helping on, on such a massive scale. There are other organizations that are helping people in uh, different cities, but I don't think there's anything this large. Uh, we're also providing not only for the Jewish people in Kharkov, we're also providing to the local people. The mayor of the city came specially to thank us that we're feeding people all around the community. So go into our website, send some money, whatever you can. And this means a lot for us because this shows your support. And this shows that we're not alone. Rabbis in Ukraine or Jewish people there, everybody cares for us everywhere in Europe and America and all over the world. People care about what is going on. And we, when we see that you're donating and you're giving some of your money for our great cause, we feel great that, that we're part of one family. So I want to thank anybody who could donate and anybody who cares for Ukraine. This is, this is very special to us. We're very thankful for that. Rabbi Mendel Moskowitz, formerly of Kharkiv. One day, please, God, you may return. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining us here on Johnny Gould's Jewish State. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity.
And if you run a community yourself, please think about magnifying JRNU's voice to reach more caring and concerned individuals like you who may support the work of Rabbi Moskowitz and the Chabad efforts in Ukraine who could even come and talk in your community. Donate now at jrnu.org. jrnu.org.